Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Welcome to the New Books Network. Good morning. Thank you for joining me for another exciting episode of New Book Network's African American Studies podcast. I am your host, Katrina Anderson. Today, I am joined by Professor Cheshire Burke. Professor Burke is an assistant professor of English and U.S. literatures at Stetson University. She has written and published over 100 fiction pieces and articles within the genres of science fiction, fantasy, comics, and horror. Her academic research focuses primarily on the intersections of race, gender, and genre. Professor Burke is an Afrofuturist. She writes and studies Afrofuturism as a cultural movement that seeks to reclaim Black identity through art, literature, and political resistance. Thank you for joining me today, Professor Burke. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Today, we are discussing your wonderful new book, Hero Me Not, The Containment of the Most Powerful Black Female Superhero. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? Absolutely. Hero Me Not is a critical interrogation of the character Storm from the X-Men. I use historical, modern, and pop culture references to really delve into how not only this character, which of course is a black woman with arguably unlimited superpowers, but also how superheroes themselves impact our own understanding of ourselves and the world. Now, why did you select Storm as your topic? How did you become interested in her? Good question. I personally have always been interested in the supernatural. I've been writing and publishing horror, science fiction, and Afrofuturism for many years. I mean, well before I entered academia. In fact, a few days ago, I was able to announce a short story of mine will be appearing in the new Jordan Peele anthology out there screaming. So before entering academia, I was immersed in the speculative world, and it was a natural transition once I entered academia to study topics such as comics. So for Storm, of course, she is that character that has always held my imagination. She's powerful. She's a woman. She cares about her community, or at least what is beneficial to the plot she does. And she's Black. There were always so few characters, particularly superheroes, um, that a little Black girl like me could look up to. But not just for representation, but actual entertainment. We often overlooked how important entertainment is to our development. So seeing Storm in comics as a little girl, but first 
on screen in the 90s and the cartoon. It just really stuck with me. I agree. I share that same phenomenon. And I remember watching Storm as a little girl and was like, wow, there's a black female superhero that I see. And it was just like, and you're right, her unlimited powers. It was just something that was so amazing as a child, seeing that image. Exactly. And you don't see it. And even to this day, you just don't see it often. So in being able to kind of identify with those characters, find entertainment in their lives, right? Their their lives were important, right? And seeing that was, you know, was just really foundational for me. Yeah. I mean, it is one of those things that as a child, I have such fond memories looking back on. Yeah, me too. Now, let's talk about a little bit about your sources as you were working on this project. Okay. So one of my gripes with academia is that it's so removed from people who would most benefit from it that it becomes out of touch with the general populace, right? Um, So for a hero me not, I do use, of course, traditional academic sources. Those are historical, primary and secondary sources, newspapers and things like that. But I also use things like pop culture references and current events to help ground those ideas in our current reality. So it's something that's practical and timely for us today. I agree. I mean, it's one of those things in academia. It's hard to understand um, some of the information and especially for those who are not involved in this world. Exactly. Exactly. If I want my this is a book that you did a great job of balancing the academic with the pop culture, because this is something that I can allow my sister to read and she would understand it and she would be very, very actually interested in reading it because Storm is also one of her favorite characters. <laughs> right. Um, so it's something that you did a great job with. So I want to commend you on that. Thank you. Thank you for that. Now, let's talk a little bit about the history of superheroes and their importance in our society. And I want to say in 2023, I feel like they have blown up so much. And they are an integral part of our society. I remember how it was when I was growing up. But now, 2023, they are everywhere. Um, You can't really avoid them. And there are college classes that talk about this. Yeah. Uh, Yes. the world of superheroes. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 my class is one of them. I teach about, you know, superheroes. I teach about comics. I teach about uh, speculative fiction. And, you know, what's really interesting about superheroes is that they are powerful on film. They're powerful in the comic books, but they're also powerful in our world. They hold a lot of sway over things. Right. So this question could take up the entire interview. (laughs) Um, but I'll, you know, I'll talk about just a little bit about that um, and how superheroes have been integrated into our own understanding of who we are as humans, as Americans. And of course, in this case, American means the U.S. citizen. Um, and that connection with, let's say, the U.S. identity really translates to characters such as, um, you know, Superman, Wonder Woman, Captain America, and other of those, you know, kind of comic identities are 
in fact, American identities. Um, even Wonder Woman, who is not, you know, an American, dons, right, the, um, the U.S. flag on her, you know, to prove her Americanness. But I also want to talk about the idea of the superhero that even goes as far as defining for us what it means to be a good person. In other words, often heroes are the imaginary ideal reflection of who we wish we were. So superheroes, as we know them today, originated in comic books, but actually they reach as far back as Japanese manga in the 1700s. So moving forward to characters that we recognize, you know, that I mentioned before, super, uh, Superman, Captain America, Wonder Woman. These tap into the idea of American excellence in that they fought for justice, they took on the Nazis, and they worked to keep the world safe for democracy. Unfortunately, that safety didn't, and it really doesn't often include marginalized bodies, such as those that we later get to, like Storm. Yeah, it's something where, you know, right now we've gone through, and I'm sure you're very familiar with the world of marvel comics um and you mentioned captain america there's been like this baton that has been passed um now from chris evans um so which has led to a little bit more controversy um since we have a new captain america right. so it's right you know it's one of those marginalized bodies as we kind of get to storm how that plays out in our world right that is so, um, I think, hard to grasp. And when you're looking specifically at the character of Storm, let's talk a little bit about those stereotypes that are associated with Black women. Okay. Uh -huh. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Black women exist in a very precarious situation in that we are often seen as dominant, aggressive, and hypersexual, but also that we somehow are perfect, the perfect people to care for white children. That's in contrast with the idea that we are considered often terrible mothers. So you see stereotypes don't have to actually make sense. They instead they function, you know, I argue in my book, they function to effectively control the way that black women are able to exist freely or with the lack of freedom in the world. Right. They are paradoxical in nature. Absolutely. Um, and that's exactly what they do. Now, you know, and most oftentimes these stereotypes have been used to control the, especially in the media, the image of black women. Um, yes, absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So um, a controlling image, as described by Patricia Hill at Collins, is basically an image that's incorrectly used to represent a group of individuals based on race or sex, right? So it's races and, you know, it's, you know, um, misogynistic, specifically to control that person. So some of those images in the media are of the mammy, the matriarch, the Jezebel, the strong woman. And in these images, what's happening is, is that black women are relegated to these things. We often respond in ways that are either pulling 
fully away from it. So we don't want, right, to be seen as the strong black woman, for instance, or we cling on to it and we say, no, 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 I'm strong. And this is a good image. And either one of those things in any way are not beneficial to black women, right? Because we're constantly battling the way that other people see us and not being able to define the way that we see ourselves. I, I agree with that assessment because you do. There are those images that are always prevalent. You have oh, yeah. that, you know, you're either you are, as you say, the strong black woman and you, one of the things that people often say is chin up, you know, you're exactly. exhausted. Exactly. You're supposed exactly. to hang it. You're supposed exactly. to, no matter what happens. You and you're supposed to do it to... with a smile. Yeah. With a smile. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that is something that we still, that still goes on even today. And you're right. That puts this undue pressure on yourself Absolutely. Um, because you feel like you have to live up to this image. And if you don't, you're letting not only yourself down, but in part your whole quote unquote race or ethnicity down. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then we have um, characters like the Jezebel, like someone black women can, you know, push, pull away from the strong black woman or embrace the strong black woman. But something like the Jezebel, right, which is the 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 image of the hypersexual black woman, what we find is that those imaging images are so controlling that no matter the way we move in society, we are in some way representing it. If we are, you know, in touch with our sexuality, we are, you know, representing the Jezebel. But if instead we are, you know, um, not in touch with our sexuality, we're prudes and we need to figure out, you know, how to, you know, evolve toward the Jezebel, but not be the Jezebel. There just isn't a way to be able to navigate those spaces in a safe way. It's, it's very complicated because for women, as you say, to reclaim their sexuality and as they are doing it and as they're trying to do it, there is pushback on that because you are feeding into that Jezebel image that has been around since slavery. Exactly. To justify, to justify exactly. the sexual exploitation of enslaved women. But then you have the opposite, which is the proof. But it's like you're not supposed to be. You can't be that does not apply to you per can't day. apply to you right and you don't and and that you know that idea you know the image of the jezebel directly conflicts with the gym uh the image of a pure um you know good woman and those two things cannot exist right but what's really interesting is that black women do not get to occupy the space in so many ways in so many instances we do not get to occupy the safe of the pure good woman yes that is very very true and you and you see these images and they're still so prevalent today even in 2023 and as you're grasping especially in the media whether it's social media or well it's films these are the images that you see and in many ways how black women are still defined to this day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I think that becomes, you know, and we'll talk about in a few moments, you know, that's so frustrating with Storm is that she goes, it's defining her sexuality and who's actually doing the defining. And who's doing the defining. That's very important. That's very yeah. important. Very, very true. Now, you know, there's also this concept of the 
quote, magical, mystical Negro. Absolutely. Can you speak? And Spike Lee, he was one who also has talked about this. Can Absolutely. you talk about who that is? Who that Absolutely. Is? Absolutely. I'm glad you brought it up because uh, a stereotype that we rarely associate with Black women is the magical Negro. So the magical Negro, as you say, coined by Spike Lee, is the character who does not have a journey or an arc of his own, but instead he uses his powers to help aid white people along their journeys. Now, thinking about this and the way that we understand that the magical Negro Negro is usually a fictional character, this is because of the presence of supernatural powers, right? So it's fictional and it's related to superpowers, right? However, there are characters that don't have supernatural powers, but that we attribute the term to. One example would be Morgan Freeman's character, Red, from Shawshank Redemption. So we understand that the magical Negro doesn't necessarily have to have physical powers, but instead they have to somehow use their mental and physical abilities to benefit the white character hero arc. Right. That is so true. And as yeah. saying that, and you said Morgan Freeman, I thought about another instance where that comes into play was in Batman, Christopher Nolan's Batman series. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He is this is um he serves as Bruce Wayne's um tech person. He's the one who's finding all he's making all the gadgets. He's the one who's his assistant. Uh, and I just thought of that when you right. mentioned that. Exactly, exactly. And he can never, like, he can never be the hero, right? Because there are a couple of things at play here. Because, you know, what we know is that white people resist Black superhero identity, right? Whether it's in real life or whether it's on the film. So when we're talking about, you know, black women, you know, and the way that black women, you know, this works effectively um, to um, kind of subdue black women. So that black women aren't like, right, so that they aren't um, able to be able to occupy the spaces of superhero, but also more importantly, when their when their identity merges with the magical Negro, they become kind of this um, character that is merged with um, that is merged with you know with power, if you will. Right, and so you have like one of those instances, and we talked about a little bit about it before. You've got, if you think about like Pirates of the Caribbean, Caribbean, exactly, exactly. Yes, who was the goddess of the sea who gives it all up for Davy Jones? Yet she's on a quest to assist Johnny Depp and everyone else as they try to reclaim something. I look at her in my book. I do. Um, and um, I look at I look at her and I look at a couple of other characters, right, as examples to kind of be able to set up, you know, where it is that I situate Storm, if you will. And um, she, 
You know, Calypso is one, an absolutely amazing character. And two, she's absolutely a character that is contained by the white writers. And she is written in a way only, only to benefit them. Right. Because she's in that space. I mean, she does it even though she is this powerful being or was this powerful being. She's never really trying to get that power back for herself to reclaim her authority. No, she's aiding someone else. She's on a mission for them. This is less about her. She's just there. She's just the character, but she's not. None of this benefits per se herself in this. Exactly. Exactly. So in this way, the Black woman works very well as a representation of a magical Negro in the real world because she's expected to work tirelessly and suffer endlessly, silently for the benefit of everybody but herself. That is so true. And these images, especially when they're talking about, you know, Black women, they are used as control. You know, one of the ways and that's such a such a pivotal role as we've talked about, you know, this idea, the strong black woman, the Jezebel, uh, the one who is the matriarch. Um, and even as we're talking about Storm, per se, she has that she has those characteristics in some ways, especially in the films, which we were going to talk about. You know, she's a school teacher, you know, and that's something that, you know, as I've been doing my own research, that's one of the ways, especially for um, Black women, um, that was one of their viable economic opportunities. Um, but, you know, that also leads Storm as the character into this role of a mother figure. Right, right, right. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's very, it's very, those images, they are still, they're there, you know. And, you know, in terms of whether it's in the comics or whether it's in Hollywood, it's how much of that they play up and they use what exactly benefits them at the end of the day. Um, now, we've gotten kind of a little bit in this discussion a little bit, but we're talking about as we're talking about Storm and what we see like in the superhero genre, there's this segregation of black characters and we're talking about this especially as we're talking about this magical negro there's a segregation of where their place is can you speak a little bit about that so segregating from um you mean in segregation you mean segregating from just general superheroes or segregating do you mean black women in general uh kind of like in superheroes or just like in the speculative fiction world um that we're talking about right now okay Okay. All right. So um, with Black women, they are segregated to those very specific stereotypes, right? And it's unfortunate because there's so much space outside of that. But despite us talking, right, about comics and about imagination, you know, whiteness tends to have very little understanding of blackness. And because of that, it's very difficult um, for them to imagine something other than what they have been fed. And what have they been fed is these stereotypes, right? It's these very negative images. And even when trying to push away from them, storm within the comic, uh, within the, um, the movies, right? Is a, 
is a real example. Despite trying to move away from that, it's almost impossible to figure out how to do that. And this is what happens to Storm in the films. They don't know what to do with her. So she's kind of just stuck there, relegated to either, you know, helping one of the characters at some point, or she's just not there at all. Or she's sitting there like, you know, just kind of some present so that we know, well, you know, uh, black people are here, but we don't want them to have too much power. And so this is how that segregation for black women characters happens within the comic world. Right. And it's so, you know, the comic book world already, it's so, in many ways, early on, the early iterations of it was overwhelmingly male. I mean, that was something that you had male superheroes. So, and then you started to have women that came in and then we finally had a black woman. And of course, there are a couple of other black um, female superheroes, but not many, even to this day where we are right now that the it's very difficult I think to conceptualize this idea of black female superheroes and and you talk about that in your book but you know if we go back to you know just looking at female comic book heroes in general there's one of course that everyone knows and of course now you have you know film iterations of it Wonder Woman you know I mean and that's that's something for a very long time. You know, there was the TV show um, in the 1970s that came out with Wonder Woman. And then, you know, it was finally um, recently where she was almost reintroduced to the world uh, with Gal Godet playing, portraying the character. But she's one of those figures that has a very, very um, complicated history uh, that can you speak a little bit about her and that how that relates to what it goes to as you're shaping like black right 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 okay so wonder woman um you know she's it right i who doesn't love wonder woman right she's the first female um comic book character um she debuted in 1941 as i said earlier And that was around the same time as Captain America. So she fights for justice and freedom like, you know, other characters. But interestingly enough, she also fights for sexual liberation. Now, as we were talking earlier, there's uh, a conflict um, between the way that Black women can identify and the way that she identifies, right? So um, when we're looking at her, there's even, you know, some BDSM, right? Um, she's she's often in bondage or tied up, like, right? Her enemies come to literally put her in bondage. But, you know, there's all this conversation around her creator, right? Who, you know, you know, did these things on purpose. He, he himself was interested in BDSM. He um, himself liked to put this character in bondage, but she was always, you know, a resistance presence, a resistance presence to, you know, the white male structure in the comic world. So there were always very positive things around her, coupled with, of course, some of the, you know, some of the other things as well. 
I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com nbn50 and use code nbn50 to get 50% off. That's code nbn50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50 percent off right and what so you know she is supposed to be this i she's offering as you say liberation exactly. um, freedom and you know it's interesting because if you think about who she is she is amazonian yeah I mean, absolutely 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 and it's interesting to you know just thinking about the idea that you're offering her liberation through bondage right that's a very male-centered way to understand the world right let me tie you up so you're free right and while that wasn't literally the argument here it does in a lot of ways represent what happens right the way that it played out right and this i would even argue is not freedom for even a white female identity, right? It may be what it looks like for a white man writing a white a white female, but it is not what, um, but it is not, you know, I would argue, I would let, you know, white women speak for themselves, but I would argue that, right? Um, the same way for Storm, you know, the fact that she is expected to fight only for um America only she's she's even you know taken out of her home country right um of Kenya she's and expected to only what um work for you know American uh destruction even in the world right because she's sent out to do all to do all of these things and yet somehow this is supposed to be what he wants right we see if we if we in going back to look at the original you know comic in 1975 that she appeared in we see very early on that this is not right that this is not what happens but it is um it does it is presented to us as something that she desires Right. And in doing that, I would say it's the same as with Wonder Woman, because it is not the way that a black woman would write Stone. And that's very essential to her, her, um, her creation. I know it's like if you go and delve into the comic books of who she is and where she comes from in her struggles, you know, you cannot possibly see a black woman writing this in Absolutely that same <laughs> way. I mean, you just would say no on so many levels, you know. And, you know, Storm, she's such a powerful yet complex character. I mean, the, you know, in the hands of the right creator, the nuances of her life could just, it would be a story that would blow everyone away. 
You know, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. There's so much potential there. And um, it's not being used. Half of it is not being used. And I mean, very specifically also in the films, right? In the comics, there's much more. First of all, there's much more space in the comics. She's yeah. been here since 1975. So that's a lot of time. But she's been here for 20 years in the films and still you know, that's a lot of time. And still, you know, I would argue there was literally no character development in the 19 years that she has been on film. Right. I know you were talking about that, you know, you know, you say 1975, as we know, she's been around and there's been positives and negatives that have come along with the comic series as well. Can you speak a little bit about some of the positive iterations of what we have of storm in the comics of, of positive okay so what are the things in the comics you mean in the comics versus the films correct? yes before we get to the film the films that's a whole other something yeah, yeah. well it's, yeah. yeah that's a, that's yeah. a whole other world but in right. the okay. where we see her where we can actually right. flesh her out more uh, the positives and then also speak uh, you know there are negatives there as well too so if you could get into like a little of both so that, you know, the audience can understand how complex this character is and what, you know, the ways in which she has been manipulated uh, to various creator in their minds. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, like I said, she has a long history since 1975, right? Her origin history um, is... One where she is um, in uh, Kenya with her people and she is their goddess, right? She provides, you know, um, rain, weather that is beneficial for them to be able to exist and grow crops and exist relatively comfortably. When we first see her, you know, um, her communities coming to her, asking her if they she could make it rain, right? And she does. You know, so great. She she has a very healthy understanding of who she is, right? Um, the image is her standing, right, um, up on you know this in a high on a high podium, and they come to her, and she, you know, she, he loves this, right. Instead, what we see is Xavier, who comes to her, and he basically says to her, "You are." not working for the betterment of mankind here and you need to start working for real people right the real world right the implication of course here is that the real world is not the black people that she currently works with right that she currently helps right and this is where you absolutely know it's written by you know a white person because she says oh okay let's go let yeah. me leave my people and come to yours right this is an absolutely illogical way to write this character and yet we accept it society accepts it because as a black woman she's not seen her own identity is not seen as important as the white man right and more importantly it's important to notice that here he's coming to take control of her powers contain them if you will so now she's not free doing what she wants instead she does what xavier wants for her right 
And this is the fun. This is how she begins. This is, you know, her legitimate um, origin stories with the X-Men, right? And this is how we can see the way that she will be developed from this point forward. She is irrelevant. She, her powers are only important if they're being used for someone else, right? Now, the one of some of the good things about her, um, or one of the really good things about her, is that she does, in some ways, control her sexuality. I mean, there is some stuff where you know, at one point, one of the male characters is sniffing her essence, right? And you know, she smells good to him, and he's you know really sexualizing her in this in this in this scene. However, there are other scenes, and I think that that would have been um, I think that that was um, Wolverine, because eventually she actually has a relationship with Wolverine, right? And her and Wolverine, you know, at one point, you know, not to give away spoilers, so. But at one point, you know, um, Wolverine passes away and they've had such this, you know, um, strong bond that she really does, you know, um, she really is torn up by this, right? But she also gets to take over and be in power. You know, um, she leads the X-Men, you know, when um, Xavier isn't there. Now, there is some argument here about that being a mammy type of role. Right. Because when the slave master is not there, then the, you know, the mammy is there to take care of the house. Right. However, that is something that also is arguably a powerful position for her. Now, the problem in this is that she she uses this power to maintain the white supremacist framework, right? And I say that because there is a character um, called, um, uh, what is her name? Um, uh, I can't remember her name right now. Uh, Marisol, it's Marisol. And Marisol is a Hispanic character who has been taken from her home to this school. Now, she is upset that she's not allowed to come home. And when she has a conversation with Storm, Storm, she tells Storm that she is working and acting and behaving like white people, that she has ripped her from her home, suggesting that her family is not good enough to take care of her. And she's being asked to use her powers to support these people who have kidnapped her. Now, Storm's response to this is to create a literal storm in the rain with Marisol and attack Marisol with her powers. So literally, Storm is being written to attack other marginalized people to keep them in check. Yet another way that it is illogical. The right she is created in an illogical only a way that um, white people would write a black woman character and not at all the way that black woman would write her own character. No, there would definitely be more solidarity there and an yeah, understanding. Exactly. And an uh, understanding. Because yeah. this exact same thing happened to her, right? The right. exact same thing happens to her. And somehow she can't make this connection. Instead, she's just like, no, you're a bad person. And then when... 
Um, and then when it's time to apologize, because the girl definitely deserves apology, Storm is not the one to give it to her. I think if I remember correctly, Cyclops is. So what is this just, yeah, yeah, I know. That, that's a lot. That's really a lot right there. Because if you think about it, she would be the one who, if this had been written by a person of color, yep. she would have been the one to push back and say, we're uh, not taking her from her home. But it's what happened absolutely. to me. And I would not put that on someone else. Right. One of the things that we don't talk about and is more, it's easier for me to see in the films. Well, maybe we should talk about it when we get there. But um, is the fact that really Cho, uh, Xavier runs a child trafficking ring and he basically traffics these children to the highest bidder. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we just don't want to like, right. And, and I did the work as a kid. You know, I was, you know, I was so excited about this. The X-Men are an absolute fantastic idea. Right. But in practice, it comes off exactly as it would probably if you were to put it in, you know, as, as it would function in real life, which is to continue the, um, what it, uh, what is Bell Hood's hooks? A capitalist, white patriarchy, capitalist society, and it really does not it does not function in any way other than that. Well, you know that's this is a good ship. Let's get into those films <laughs> that we're talking right. about here. I mean, the films are, you know, I think if we go back to when they were first done, it was. You know, because you had gone, there was such a dry period from as I remember watching the X-Men show of the 1990s, which I think is actually coming back out now. Uh, and then you had the film. So it was kind of like that really first iteration of kind of seeing what superheroes were working as a team on screen. So you've got like this group of people together, group of mutants together. One of whom is Storm, and she is there, but she's not really there. Right, right. I argue that you can literally take Storm out of every single film, and the film's plot would not change one bit. This is a serious problem because she is one of the main characters, right? And we can say this even about the, you know, um, 2016 Apocalypse, X-Men Apocalypse, right? Which is based in Africa. Being based in Africa suggests that she should have a bigger role, right? That she should be important, right? Considering it is where she's from. Now, she does have a very strong presence in the beginning, but that presence has nothing to do with her. And instead, she is only there to serve the highest bidder, which I guess, you know, if you think about it, really is kind of the way that she's been structured, you know, whether it's through the comics or in the film, right? When Xavier comes to her in the beginning, he comes to her, you know, with this proposition, hey, you can, you know, you can work outside of this, right? So when she is here in these spaces in Apocalypse, she's there, right? He get, he supposedly, Apocalypse supposedly gives her the power, which is why her heart here turns right, which, by the way, is not, you know, is, is it, 
happen. It's not how this happens. But instead, she's just silenced. She doesn't have any real functioning role. She isn't important. Yet again, it is Jean Ray, right? She does not have any purpose at all. Take her out of the film. You can still set it in Africa and everything is still exactly the same, right? I think, though, where it is most obvious and egregious is in Dark Phoenix, where she is literally relegated to an ice-making machine, an ice-making machine. She, um, at one point, um, Scott, um, Cyclops, comes up to her, and he says what he orders, one word from her, and he says ice. And with that she, you know, raises her hand, makes ice in the glass for Jean Grey. She is Jean Grey's in, uh, inanimate object. She is her ice-making machine. And that is infuriating. And she's so much more than that. And she's so much more than that. Not in the film, she isn't, though. To be fair, not in the film, she is not more than that. Right. No matter which film you look at, her only role is a supporting one. Right. Whether, you know, at one point and I can't remember which film that it's in, but at one point, um, uh, Wolverine right is um you know is in trouble and you know he, he's getting his butt whooped. Right. And so he calls out to her. So she has to stop her own fight to give him power. So that he can win his fight. Right. Right. And so all of these little things kind of culminate in the idea that she just is irrelevant. Right. She is irrelevant and her presence is only there as to show that, well, black, there is a black person here and this black person supports this. So that is enough. Right. And in reality, it is not enough. Not only isn't it enough, but it's very harmful imagery that black people would be supported. Right. Um, in 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 her support of America, she is supporting the harm to her own country. Right. I mean, and there's so much that you can delve into and that should be delved into, because, you know, even as you put and granted, you know, a movie they only have. X amount of time to do this unless you make it into like a feature film all its own. But you do want to give them that backstory. You want people to know who she is. How did she get here? You know, that that can be whether that's five minutes or 10 minutes, but give her some flashbacks to say, okay. So as she relates to other characters, her own sense of understanding of who she is can come through. Well, yeah, because even because in the film, she has no like she has no understanding of who she is. I mean, we never see her alone. She is never by herself at any point. It's almost right. And this is an overstatement, but you can compare it, like I said earlier, to putting the mammy in the in the big house. Right. She is contained there. She has no movement and no power outside of that. Right. And that whatever power she has, she uses it there. Right. And when it comes to the film, it's even more films. It's even more egregious because when you look at the comics, she actually has love stories. Right. Yeah. She's paired often with Wolverine and Black Panther and other characters. Right. But instead, what we have here is everyone fighting over the affection of Jean Grey. 
which again is a completely illogical state while she's sitting off to the side, you know, so playing the supportive mammy. And it's just illogical. And I cannot, I cannot say the word illogical enough when it comes to, you know, her development. I know it's very, very frustrating because when you've read the comics and you know at least partially who the character is, but also when you know who the character could be and what she should be and how she should be portrayed, how she should be. Exactly, exactly. And I, exactly. And because when I, when I, 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 I hate to suggest that the comics are a much better representation for her because she's, you know, it's not a good representation in the comics, but at least in the comics, she has more autonomy. She also has more movement, more things that she can do, right? She has lines. She actually speaks, right? Um, and she's not giving silly one-liners, right? And so I think that if anything, the comics are a much better representation for her than, than any of the films could be. I know, and it's very frustrating because I just, you know, she's one of those characters that you want to show who she is and what she can do and how she can be such a role model for black women, for black girls, that you have this strong individual um, who is capable of so much. I mean, that is something that is so, can you talk about in your book how important representation is, uh, especially for people of color. It is integral for them. And so to not have that, and I believe, if I'm correct, we will see... um, what is it? Storm again. Um, there have been musings that she will come out again. In I've death. heard this. I've heard yeah. this. Yeah. yeah. I've heard yes, this. That, yeah. You know, they say Halle Berry has been sporting a very Storm-like um, hairstyle recently. And so there have been some clips because, you know, Deadpool were actually bringing in, you know, the Wolverine character. Okay. Right. So they were, and they're going to bring in other X-Men characters too. Because that's how, you know, Marvel has to shift it over now since now they have the rights to it. Uh, so we're going to see it again. But the problem is maybe this time they can actually give her a story. Um, all her all. Maybe Marvel can actually do that, I hope. And they get it right. Um, we saw it, you know. And I don't know if you've seen the um, Avengers. Um, you know, that was kind of a point of attention with the point of contention with the character of Black Widow um, they often said she was just kind of there uh, you know but they gave her her own movie subsequently that is something that Storm needs she needs her or just like they had X-Men Wolverine or she needs her own origins because there is a lot that's there but it needs to be done right I agree. I completely agree. Unfortunately, I would not, um, I would not count on her being developed well within someone else's series, right? So if she's appearing in Deadpool, I personally would not. I would be surprised um, if it is anything other than what we've seen on the film. I think in order for her to be fully developed, and I don't even know that this is really that would really be work. They would need, but they would need. 
um, to, she would need her own origin story and it would need to be both um, written and directed, I would think, by uh, Black women. And not just Black people, not just Black people, because even Black men, when it comes to the comics, um, 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 have, have, have some, you know, wonky stuff with, um, sexuality and right. her body. Right. So with that, you know, there have been some problems with that as well. So I would suggest that, you know, her own origin stories, both written and directed by black women, which we are not likely to have. So I know. <laughs> so, so I would not. I, I just wouldn't go in with high hopes. Go in with lower hopes, and I think they might be. And then if you're lucky, they'll be. But <laughs> you don't get disappointed. Just say, you know what? It's like okay, I expect exactly. a little, and if I get a little tidbit of something, I'm actually happy with that. Surprise! Present yes. disappointment. Yes. Yes. Almost amazed as you walk out the theater. Exactly. I'm like, oh my god, yeah. That would be the shock figure. Now, as we are in 2023, where do you see the kind of status of Black women um, in science fiction? Like, you know, we've, you know, better Black heroes, role models for young girls today that have kind of tried to do what they didn't do with Storm or what still needs to be done. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I, there are a lot of black women. There are some black women. They're not enough, right? But there are some black women out there doing some really amazing things, right? Um, I would name Far Sector with N.K. Jemison, right? Um, there is Diary of a Mad Black uh, Werewolf um, by um, uh, Michelle um Hines, I think, S is her name. Um, and I'd also name Robert Smith's um, saddest, angriest black girl in town, right? There are people out there creating and doing new things. Those things, unfortunately, though, are there's less access to them. They're not as big. They're not as popular. And they're harder to find, right? But this does not mean that black women aren't out there writing it and that there aren't positive black images of black women within these you know within the superhero world so um, I highly suggest uh, checking out some of them yes I definitely will do that now as we're wrapping up kind of what do you want readers to take away from the book right 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 um that's an interesting question um because the the, the answers um is 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 different for different people, right? I would love for white people to pick this up and really engage with their understanding of stereotypes and specifically black and marginalized bodies, right? How is it that I, you know, um, add to these types of um, um, stereotypes, right? What is it that I do? Do I, you know, in my everyday understanding of the world, right? So read this and look at the way that um, you can change the world, right? I was looking at something recently that suggested that we went from, at one point we went from a very communal understanding to who we are to an individualist understanding of who we are that's a very american thing our individuality i would argue is one of the things that is harming us today so if we can move back toward this idea that everyone everyone in the world 
I am, I am responsible for, right? And that's a very heavy load, but it also allows you not to want, it allows you to not to want to do harm to others, right? So um, in that, that is really what I'm hoping, you know, that, you know, white readers will pick up and engage with. You know, it is the same for Black people, but moreover, I want Black people, very specifically Black women, um, you know, otherwise mar marginalized women to understand that this is not you, right? These images, the things you see, the way that people engage with you are reflections of the way that we function in the world. It's the media, you know, whether it's comics, whether it's TV, whether it's film, right? Whether, you know, it is podcasts, right? Whatever it is, those images continue to perpetuate within our society, right? Stereos change, uh, stereotypes, excuse me, change. They evolve to benefit the um, powerful, Right. In that rejecting those things in whatever ways that you need to function in your life is absolutely acceptable. Right. It's absolutely acceptable. Do no harm. I agree with that um, assessment, Dr. Burke. I definitely agree with that assessment. Readers, I implore you to please go out and pick up a copy of Hero Me Not, and you will not be disappointed. It is something that can be read by both academics and non-academics alike. Readers, go get this book. It is something that you need to read, and I assure you, it is one of those books that you will take it with you as you are going places. And this is also something, as most people know, superheroes. And learning about what that is and about the culture that is created from it. So please, I urge you, go out and pick up a copy of this wonderful, wonderful book. Dr. Burke, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure having this discussion with you. Thank you. It has been absolutely my pleasure. Absolutely. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.